0: the Behind the Brawl podcast brought to you by Barbell Alster where we strive to redefine the standard of care in breast health and improve quality of life post-diagnosis. I'm your host, Ziana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we have Tori Campbell, a breast cancer survivor, CrossFitter turned weightlifter, and a transplant from the East Coast.
1: Hi. Uh, hello. <laughs> what
0: a great honor to be here. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, I, I am very excited that this is being done in person. Absolutely. It's how I prefer podcasts to be. And um, so thank you for making the drive up from San Diego to come Easy. and be here in person. And train with us and eat with us and drink coffee so, with us. So fun.
1: <laughs> and be introduced to lavender
0: coffee, which I've never had. Lavender coffee. So we just came from one of the most incredible coffee shops in the world it's called morning lavender in tustin or is that orange it's tustin and uh we just got some lavender lattes
1: i just swallowed some lavender (laughs) that's kind of weird when you get the little lavender you're like that's not what i signed up for (laughs) no it definitely uh gives a different flavor to the latte a little earthier it's a little earthier yeah
0: yeah i try to have one at least once a week
1: no i would i would too (laughs) give your paycheck back to that place if you went there enough
0: (laughs) So, who are you? It's <laughs> my favorite question to ask because I feel like I, for for the most part, I usually know our guests and I have some background on them. But Actually, obviously, you might not know some things. I, I mean, don't know everything about okay. you, Tori, who am I? and so. so so what I like to do is give the give our listeners um, and you an opportunity to really. Kind of share who you are, where you come from, where did you grow up, kind of the very- This is
1: pre-cancer. This is
0: all like, who is Tori, where do you come from, and get us to kind of that day before diagnosis. Okay.
1: So uh, I was born in Incheon, South Korea. I was abandoned as a baby. So my birthday of 10, 10 1976 is estimated because they don't really know what day I was. They can't prove what day I was born because I was found- Somewhere.
0: So, can we just celebrate all of October then?
1: Yes, right? <laughs> so, this is random. October is my birthday. <laughs> wait, what day are you? Damn it. July 8th. Oh, okay. So, no, as far as I'm concerned. That's, oh, no, you should be. All oh, the whole month. <laughs> I don't think I was found, but it's so, very possible. 1010.76 <laughs> 10, is just is an estimate, but I like that because it has a good ring. So, born there and was placed in an orphanage in Seoul and then adopted when I was about almost eight months old. So I flew to this country on May 28th of 1977 and landed at JFK. At which time my adoptive parents picked me up and raised me in Connecticut in this little 3500 person town in Middlesex County, Connecticut called Killingworth. And I had no siblings, so I was an only child. They I think at a point they were toying with adopting another child, but thank God they didn't because they started after when I when I was entering high school, they started to struggle financially. Okay. So my dad's an attorney. My mother at the time, she when I was growing up, she raised me, but she had a, a degree in early childhood education. So she could be a nursery school teacher. Um, she worked with um, like uh, development challenge kids. So my childhood was very, you know, um, every, everyone was white. And I think I had issues being Asian because everyone around me was white. And so I just kind of I didn't like Asians when I was growing up. <laughs> I, had, I was, like, very immature about it. So I grew up in a very, like, cookie-cutter, white fence, you know, rural part of Connecticut with goats, chickens, and cats. And then went to a private high school in New London called the Williams School. And that was, you know, they, they, they paid the money for me to go there because I struggled at my public school. And then that's kind of when my father started to slip into depression because he was at the time in his 40s. Then I went to a private college in Massachusetts called Wheaton. And there's okay. two of them. So there's one that's like holy roller. Uh, one there's one in Illinois that's very religious, and that's not the one I went to. There's but there's one in Massachusetts between Boston and Providence, and that's the one I went to. So I have a French degree. So I just I had a you know very decent education. Uh, and when I felt like it, I applied myself in school. But other than that, I you know I was I didn't really know myself. Like you just go through the motions when you're that age. You just, so number yeah, one, ahead. I have
0: so many questions. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> So that's kind of like zero, <laughs> zero, zero for twenty. You want zero really quick? Okay. <laughs> that's a short version. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm still processing this. So, I guess my first questions are: Have you ever talked to your parents about them decide? Like, what made them decide to number one adopt, number two adopt from Korea, and to go to, to another country um, and make that decision? Have you ever understood Not really. that? Really,
1: I don't. My mother always kind of gave me a a very vague reason why they didn't have, you know, uh, children, children, you know, birth children. I don't know if it was if they had problems in area. I certainly did not ask. I don't think we've ever broached why they chose Korea or why they didn't why they did not choose to adopt from the United States. I don't think we to my recollection, we never got into that. Okay. so I honestly looking back on it, I can think that I think when they adopted, they were they appreciate I came from a foreign country. But they wanted me to be like every other kid that they saw from their from their peers. So to go to the best school to get the best grades and, you know, they wanted me to pop out some kids like I'm sure they wanted what everyone else had. Um, but no, we never had with, that with chickens
0: distance. and goats. And
1: well, not everyone had chickens and goats. <laughs> like, but yeah. is that normal? Okay, that's no, my next I'm question. In is that
0: normal in Connecticut to have chickens uh, and goats? Depends where you live. Okay. I mean, I,
1: like this county was very. It was not like farm country, but it was. It was rural. You had you we had land. We had land. We had five okay. acres.
0: Now, my next question is: Have you ever been back to Korea? Like, I have, have not. you have Have you done any research on trying to figure out like
1: your heritage or your family? Or I can't had, because I. No, I have not done research because if I was abandoned, there's no paper trail for me. So, I mean, I could get my DNA swabbed. But if I think this person, persons, you know, did a, did a very probably a difficult thing and they left me somewhere where I'd, where I'd be found. But there's no, they did it anonymously. So I can't really, can. I can't trace their steps. So they will always remain unknown to me. And that's okay. So how has that impacted your life? I think initially there was an immaturity because I didn't understand like what being Asian meant and like where everyone was, you know, upper middle class white in Middlesex County, Connecticut, which goes Middlesex, New Haven and then Fairfield where's, you know, Fairfield is, you know, close to New York. I didn't that that's how it affected me.
0: Did uh, you have other like were you did you were you Influenced at all by any other Asian people? Was no, just just nothing, n-
1: n- n- nothing, n- where you could be like, hey, tell me a little no, bit about. And how I didn't. It means it, to it be was Asian. Bliss. I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I just, you know, I just. All you I, knew is you looked different. All I knew, but I didn't focus on that. I just was like the other kids at school. But I was kind of a tomboy. I didn't like dolls, or, you know, I I, I like to play with the guys that on the with the boys on the playground. Um. No, I I I've, as but as I've aged and matured, yes, I definitely want to revisit Korea. Because I don't remember any of it. I don't speak Korean. I don't speak any of it. Right, um, but- you get really fucked up questions when you're in Korea. Like when you're in when they, when you're in the states. Like people have asked me, "Do you know karate?" It's like, "Do I know karate?" <laughs> Do you like sushi? Well, yes, I like sushi, but not because I'm Asian. You fucktard. <laughs> so like, I just like sushi. I here. just like sushi. Actually, I didn't really have sushi until my twenties, <laughs> but. No, I, I think now I'm more mature and I, I embrace where I'm come from. And I got a tattoo recently that basically solidified that I'm more I'm very comfortable being Asian now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not my parents fault, but I, they did not in part or they did not infuse any Korean culture in my upbringing, which at one point I was seeing a therapist. And she thought that was absolutely fascinating because as I got older and more people were adopting, you had the option, for example, to fly to a country where you were picking up your child. And my parents, at the time, they weren't offered... I don't think they were offered that option, but... You know, I think a lot of parents do make an effort to try to incorporate Chinese culture if they're from right. China or what have you. My parents chose not to. Be, and But in fairness, they didn't have a lot of options. This was Killingworth. I mean, they could have gone to New Haven, maybe. maybe, But that that's not even a big Korean community. Right. I mean, the other, I mean, maybe.
0: Did you do any of your own exploration of not. it once you mm-hmm. kind of became independent? So now, okay, so we get to this place, you become a young adult. Kind of tell tell me about your life. The day before you found out you had breast cancer,
1: so uh, went to a decent college, got a degree. You know, kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. So fast forward, you know, a, a couple of serious relationships. I got out of one in my thirties, and. This was a point where my parents were really struggling financially, my father had depression, and my mother, at certain points, just could not cope with it very well. She would drive him to doctor's appointments, be very supportive, and then another in another vein, she'd be violent, screaming, screaming fits, being very accusatory. Um, just And it was hard, because I'm an only child. There's no buffer. So you know, it took years, but I eventually, you know, the fighting, you know, I'm not talking about normal domestic stuff. They've been arrested. They've had a lot of, you know, my mother's temper was really dysfunctional. And my father, because he was depressed, he didn't have his personality. Never. He never fought her back. Was this like a progression that you saw growing up? So he started like really crashing financially when I was getting out of high school and then they, they footed college, which wasn't cheap. Um, and then it really kind of hit the fan when I was in my twenties and thirties. So are they still together? They are still together, and that's part of the problem. I don't think I'd be estranged from both of them now if it wasn't for the fact that one comes with the other, and it's a package deal. So I can't cherry pick who I want to talk to. Got and it. And my mother had had proved proven during those years that if I extended myself more to one than the other, she would make she would make the other pay for it. She would make my father pay for it. Got it. And I'm not going to be used as a pawn to get to my other fa- to get to my other parent. So. Um, Got out of a relationship, you know, just coming. To, but I hadn't even found CrossFit until probably thirty, five, thirty-five, thirty-six. Okay. And I was just coming out of relationship, and I was chubby, and I got my, I got some, lost some we weight. we were all chubby before CrossFit. <laughs> we're we? still, let's all be honest with ourselves. Yes, I, I mean, I was. Nobody I was, knew what they were doing. <laughs> I was a runner. Like running was great, but so it's, but it's one dimensional. So that kind of got that started turning my life around. My core friends, and at that time. The, the shit was really taking the family, of my parents. And over the course of many years, I slowly realized I had to be distance myself from them. So it wasn't it wasn't like that, but it um, it happened gradually. So I, well, there was a point where I just I never called them. I never I didn't go. I one Christmas I said, I'll never come to this house again for Christmas because well, it's I so think unpleasant.
0: That, I think that I commend you for that decision because it's making a decision like that of weeding out negative things from your life is. That's a hard it's one a especially and we see it, your family. Your family like and we all know that there's negative people in our family and of course. and making those boundaries and making those decisions but I will say that getting for myself getting into crossfit it created a mental health like a, an awareness for my mental health yes. just as much as my physical health. Yes. So because of the mental challenge that it gave me every single day I became so mentally tough from CrossFit, right. where I was. It, it has helped me become a better decision maker. If that right. makes sense, yep, right? Absolutely. And so having to not, and it's not about not caring. It's about hey, this isn't healthy anymore for me, and making a decision and saying exactly. I have to create a boundary if because if I want to stay healthy, physical, mind, body, right. soul. It doesn't include you in it.
1: Right. You, you, like I've seen something. we all see things on social media about, you know, toxic relationships. Well, what if that's your family? And yeah. that can certainly happen. It doesn't. They're... I mean, I wish I could tell my dog and he would do
0: something because he's so <laughs> emotionally stressful to me. <laughs> Chris.
1: Man, it, I, my dog is at the office today and it's been a pretty stressful day for him. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a hard pill to swallow that unfortunately I had to do it from my parents and a lot of people just... A lot of older people, especially who are parents, don't understand that decision. They're like, well, they raised you. They loved you. It's like, I'm not talking about their love. I'm not talking about not being grateful for that. Right. I'm talking about the here and the now. And you you can look in your life in segments. Like the life I had as a child, even growing up, high school, college, That that's a different life.
0: I'm like, did you just catch my burp? <laughs> no, I didn't catch
1: it. I was talking. <laughs> Good one. We should have Good had one. beer. Yeah, for, I know. Um, No, the life I had as a youngster is very different, different than the life than... I have, than you have as an adult. Um, and I just it's think easier. it's hard
0: to be honest with what your needs are sometimes. And but I'm,
1: I've always was feisty and independent, but it really forced me to say, like, what, you know, this is negatively affecting your life. And mm-hmm. I have to take that accountability. So yeah. my mother's main crutch was... Bruce, her, my dad's name is Bruce. Bruce, you did this, you did that. Very accusatory, like you guys are married. You just sit there and point fingers at each other. when the time, when, I, all well. the time. <laughs> It's never but my it's, fault. <laughs> it's accusatory, it's, 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 you don't fight fair. And then she'd always say, well, I don't deserve this. Why did this happen to me? She, she always played the victim and I can't work with that. It, yeah. That's all, that's everything she had to stand on was her not asking for this. Well, suck it up because it's how you deal with things going forward situations that you aren't that you didn't ask for that will shape you and make you a better person but she didn't along the way learn that in her life and that's ironically the pill that I had to swallow like well I could either go through this and so love my parents or I can get away because I, I can't I can't referee any more fights I don't want to I have I was drinking too much, and it was negative. So that's on me. That's yeah. not on my parents. So well, I think it's that,
0: it's that it goes back to that saying of it's it's not what happens to you, it's how you handle what exactly. happens to you. And so, it's
1: absolutely, what it is. So, where
0: were you at with your relationship with your parents, and when you found out you had breast
1: cancer? So that so the last time I saw them in a room together was end of February of 2016, and at that point I was really not talking to them very much. I wasn't coming over for holidays. It would just. That was the last time I really talked to both of them at the same time. And then, so it was that year, ironically, that um, I will, so August 7th of 2016 was a marker day. So I was in a weightlifting meet in Connecticut. And on my last clean and jerk, I PR'd my snatch that day. It was a great day. So I got on my, got on the stage for the platform for the clean and jerks. On my third, the clean was a little sloppy. And for some reason, I tried to save the jerk and press it, which never Mm works. So the barbell came down on my neck it pinned me forward. So I had to get this thing off of me. So I leaned over on the platform. And by the time I let go of the barbell, I had my hand on the platform and the 15 kilogram plate bounced off me on the bounced off my hand, the platform. Mm. And I didn't feel any pain. But what happened was I I had an open fracture in my right index finger and then a huge gash on my middle finger. So from that day, nothing was ever the same. I had to you know, have surgery within two days, Mm -hmm. you know, dressing was interesting with having a splint. Mm -hmm. I had to go to occupational therapy right away. And then a month, like six weeks later, I was in my female, the fun doctor's appointment that we all love. And she was like, you have a lump. So that was not there the year prior. So... And how old were you during this? So I was, that was 16. I was almost 40. I was 39 and 11 months. So... Technically, you know, I don't know obviously that came first. So probably the cancer developed like thirty eight to thirty nine. And so mm-hmm. at thirty no, 39, 39 to four so basically at the at the brink of being forty, which I knew I had to have a mammogram, and I was like, Oh, this is coming up, darn it. And I'm like, Okay, now I really have to have one because that was the next step. So they got what, me to see what it. did that
0: process look like when they were like what's your family history?
1: You just have to say, like, I don't have any, like, just fill, so fill, out, fill out NA, like, I don't have any, I don't know. They're like, that's easy. Because, you know, it's, so just, just for paperwork, you just say that. And then when I finally met my oncologist, she ordered genetic testing. Okay. So they could test for markers in my yes. genes, either common, like BRCA, mm-hmm. middle of the road, or, or rare. Excuse me, I think they tested for like, 20 or so and not n- all negative there were some abnormalities but nothing they could tie to me having a, to a, it, a yeah a, a succinct history so that's one thing they did to screen me when i was when they when it was clear i had cancer and
0: it sounds like your doctor was pretty responsive oh, so she, she found was. a lump.
1: And sent you right into a mammogram? the the APRN at Planned Parenthood found the lump. Then she got me into this local, Middlesex County has its own hospital system. So I had a mammogram that proved inconclusive. They just, they knew it was two centimeters. And he's like, "Ah, I really, I'd like you to have, I think you should have a biopsy. He just, he wouldn't clear me on that because it was unclear. So he, that's when I met my surgeon, Dr. Malon, and she was head of cancer studies at Middlesex Hospital, like spitfire of a woman, like just, mm. she could be probably interpreted as cold, but she just had so much going on. She'd be very focused. And she was, I liked her a lot. I liked that style. So I finally met her at the biopsy point, And that took a while. She really, it, she was like, I don't think it is, but I, I have to do this anyway. And she said, it's at least atypia, which is basically not normal cells. They're mm-hmm. abnormal, but she can't clarify it as cancer. So she's like, I really think you should do a lumpectomy. I'm like, okay, fine, just do it. So then that took a while. And so a month after my birthday on November 10th, that's when she called me. And I knew it was shitty news because I just could hear it in her voice. But she was very matter-of-fact. She's like, I need to see you tomorrow. So I went in the next day. And then she went over everything and what the next steps were, which was an MRI. So did... Did she give you a breast cancer
0: diagnosis that day? No, she did not. She just, she, 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 she needed said, more testing. she said, she
1: said, you have cancer, but now we need to find out what stage. Oh, wow. And then. So did she tell you over the phone that you had cancer? Yeah. She told me on, on an evening. Yeah. On November 10th, whatever that day was at like eight o'clock at night. So I didn't.
0: So I, this was like a few months in the making of yeah. from finding the lump into finding. Very, out.
1: but very swift. And they knew it probably wasn't, you know, a higher stage, but it was very succinct and you know, in, in due progression, nothing, wow. nothing, I didn't have to wait that long. So November 10th was when I got my diagnosis of 16. And my first surgery was, I think the, no, I had it before, that was the first surgery, the lompectum was the first right, surgery. It was the so first the second surgery. surgery was the big one that was right before Christmas. It was December 23rd of that year. I had a, a needle guided MRI biopsy, which that was a ho- hoot of fun. And then they did. She did a lymph node test, So a sentinel node lymph node um, biopsy. So and she, why did
0: they why did they opt for that type of biopsy? Were they looking they, for? So she
1: wanted. So the first of all, the MRI. Let's do this in sequence. The MRI yeah. that she ordered before I had my second surgery caught a mass that she saw on the on the images that was very small in a different part of my right breast okay so that second surgery they they biopsied it so fast forward to now what i now know i had bilateral so that mri that she ordered just to make sure was thorough and it was purposeful because it caught another mass that i never would have felt no like if there are there are masses where you cannot feel them. them yeah so that caught it um and this all came
0: from and i'm and i'm Reiterating this because you said something earlier in your story that I think is so important for women to know your very first breast exam which was the palpitation of your breast and where they found the lump was done at Planned Parenthood.
1: Planned Parenthood. So I so big yes. shout out to Plan, Planned Parenthood. I'm, I went to Planned Parenthood recently in California. I have to I have to go. To They're amazing. They're amazing. I, I don't need a stuffy OBGYN. My APRN who knew me since I was 25 found it you know. Big shout out to them. I'm not going to get political, but Yeah, I was going to say, I am not a politician here. Nope. I am a
0: patient when it comes to, like, I was a patient of Planned Parenthood for years and they're such a fantastic resource. And if you have a breast concern, call your local Planned Parenthood and get in there because they are- They
1: gave me the same, I mean, they found it, it was a routine exam. They mm -hmm. found it, so- Yes. So kudos.
0: I just wanted to make yep. sure that our followers, our listeners, if you have a breast concern or you have any reproductive needs.
1: Go see them. Go
0: see them. Yeah. They're amazing.
1: They're not there to judge you. They're nope. just, you know, they're just there to just, help you yep. if you reach out. So, yep. um, Okay, so you get the MRI,
0: that the biopsy. This side. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And then so to answer your question, they did a sentinel node because they wanted to know. If, so if so, cancer's in there, it's doing its thing. And so if it's going to go anywhere or metastasize, it's probably going go to go your, your, to your lymph nodes first. So they inject you with a dye. And then that dye will travel to what's called the sentinel node, which, which to put it in lay terms, it's your popular node. So she took some of those out. And those were negative on my left side. So she did my left side first. And then she also, I think she took a biopsy from my right side. So that was the longest surgery I had. Of an hour and a half i think
0: what uh stage were you diagnosed
1: so with? i'm officially a stage 1a 1a yep uh okay. and then you will do tests for hormone respondents so i was mm-hmm. ERPR positive but hr2 or air 2 negative so all that means is i had been on birth control for many years i did depo the shot so i never get period for many years i was fat that was fabulous so when they said you know your your birth control is a hormone you've got to go off of that Huge concession. I, I hated it, but I wasn't really given a choice. So right. I went off of it um, as I was entering treatment. So basically, the ERPR positive means your cancer responds to hormones. So any mm. most birth controls contain a hormone. So I think in hindsight, yeah, that probably contributed to why I got cancer. I'd yeah. been on it for 15 years. Yep. So I can't prove that. And nor can she tell me, my surgeon. No one can really tell no me why even, I got it. Yeah. So it's kind of the you there's know, some, there's irony. some fantastic, there's some fantastic
0: information about cycles and menstrual cycles that are, is now that's coming out now wow. that, um, I forget what the book is called. I'll have to look it up, but just us being better about. Having control over our menstrual cycles and not depending on birth control pills, and that and, took
1: it away. Actually, yeah. so I'll talk to you, and this is for all of our, you know, our listeners. So I had a symptom that summer that I didn't know what it was, but now I know what it was. I had discharge from my left breast, clear. Mm-hmm. It didn't flow out; it was just very minimal, but it was there. And I, I since afterwards read, I'm like, I that was it. That was a, that was a sign that was or a clue, sign. Mm-hmm. but I didn't know what it was then. But so now I know that if I ever felt that again, well. Oops, that's a little bit too late, but it is an indication of, you know, that's one of the changes you can go through that your body's telling you like you're, you know, something's happening, something's something's happening, something's going on.
0: Um, And that happened with Sessie. like when she was, she was first denied for her screening and she thought she was fine. And then six months later, that's when she, um, she started having discharge and blood coming out of that nipple. Okay. So I just had
1: clear discharge, but yes, any, any discharge, Mm -hmm. um, that's it. That's an that indicator be, to go see. A yeah, Dr. get, get Rye yourself okay. in there. Get checked. So <laughs> then I had one final surgery after the New Year in seventeen, and then he did one. My so she th- at that point I entered treatment, and so she turned me over to an oncology group within Middlesex, and I chose an oncologist, and he was a uh, this little Jewish guy. He was cute. Um, and then I had to pick a radius. So basically, he ran a test that took a long time to come back, but he, from the sample, they sent that's my cancer sample out to a lab, and he wanted to test for, basically, it's pathology. And in lay terms, that, that result on my left side had a number that, he, that was high in his opinion that he recommended chemo as a preventative treatment. So being clear, most people are given chemo as an option to shrink what's there. In my case, that had been taken out. I'd been given clear margins. But he said you should really do chemo as a preventative measure to give you a better chance of never having a reoccurrence. Got it. So and I I declined it. So you did not go. Did not go through chemo. I did radiation. I did 35 treatments. Wow. So so every day at lunch. So technically, this was FMLA. I had to I had an hour and a half lunch. I'd drive 20 minutes north, walk in strip, get underneath that machine, come out, get back dressed and get back in my car and drive down and then go back to work and somehow like find something to eat along the way. Um, and I did that for it was seven weeks, but I did have a pre-planned trip to Cancun at the time, and they let me my they let me go on it. So my radiation oncologist was this Indian guy, and he had a lisp like crazy, but he was the sweetest man. So he would say, "So I think you're fine. You look really great. Your <laughs> your skin is. I mean, he I couldn't laugh, but, right. but like it was kind of like the funny part of going through." But I you did had to find, you had to find some laughs. All of that. It's <laughs> amazing. Like you do your own research. I did a lot of my own research. I'm not scientific. I'm not very technical, but I definitely did enough research where I could know what they were talking about, why they were doing what they were doing and what they were telling me. So that's That's a
0: bold move to to not pick the chemo. I think that a lot of women after they're diagnosed, they might get options on the treatment side to say, Hey, this is gonna help prevent reoccurrence and i think that women are they they, they fear reoccurrence i probably. fear i fear
1: it every day but i it's, mean, it was the risk i was willing to take, take given my unique i am not you know advertising this but my unique circumstances my test results my unique case i said no i did ra- i did radiation and actually was on tamoxifen but then you know this is Getting into another part of my story, the whole like so, getting cancer was a complete surprise. Didn't tell my family. wasn't speaking with them at that point. I always wanted, I kind of wanted change for many years, but always would balk at it wasn't the right time. And after I went through this, I said, "You've always wanted to live in California, then you should just go." So I think later in seventeen, I finally in July said, "You're gonna go." So. I started putting out feelers and then I interviewed for a job, actually, which I didn't get. And then they never got back to me. So I'm like, what are you waiting for? Just go. So I sold all my belongings in two weeks and then shipped my car and then took a one-way flight out of JFK to San Diego on October 17th of 17. Wow. So, but thank technically that I give that to cancer because that really just changed my mindset. And I'm very, I was very happy go lucky. Like it's, but it does make you rethink your life and you have to think about your mortality. Well, I think, I feel like what it does
0: is it stops you in your tracks. uh, I think that we're all like just living our lives and we're waking up and we think that we have control and then you find out you don't. Right. And your life can change from one phone call.
1: And I hate to say it, your life can change. I hate to say, like any anyone you care about, your life can change if you get hit by a car, or if, someone yes. has an accident on the highway, and that's one reason I again I turned down chemo because the statistics weren't. There's no guarantee. There never, as I understand right, that, You yeah. can't give me that. But yes, could, did he met was did he medically have prowess to say that I'd have less of a chance of reoccurrence if I did that to maxim? Absolutely, but I'm willing. I was willing to roll that you dice and take that chance right um maybe it'll bite me in the ass later but I can live with that decision because I made it
0: well I I see if anything more comes of this maybe you just keep moving and you
1: end up in Hawaii you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like, ah, always wanted to go to Hawaii
1: <laughs> or I can I only live in Europe if I live anywhere else I live in back in Europe, Europe. I I spent time in Europe and I really love Europe but it got me to uproot my life change it, leave all my friends and family. You know, I actually sacrificed my extended family by being estranged from my, by my adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. I can't go to family functions and not, not speak to my parents, but then I right. can't do that. So I sacrificed a lot. So then getting cancer was it at the time it, believe me, it stunk, but it, it was in, in reality a blessing.
0: So you weren't speaking to your parents when you were going through all this through mm-hmm. your treatment and
1: what type of community or crossfit community as you know like my some so my close friends were crossfitters you know only people that i met in my mid-30s so these are not people from high school or college even and they were very supportive and i never felt alone and i i had to ask for rides and you know i had a support system there so that that was that was that filled the void because I wasn't again no, none of my I none of my family really knew at the time. I know they know now, but they didn't know at the time. Have they contacted you after finding out? Like has anybody um, I they I I've kind of recycled some of my old numbers in part cuz I was getting like weird calls from Guam, but also as a like only benefit, like great, I changed my number and like no, they really won't find me. Like I hate to sound like an asshole, but they're never going to be able to contact me unless they run my social and find out where I work and then maybe call my office. So they don't have my contact info is what I'm okay. saying. So no, they have not.
0: Have you felt like reaching out to them at all?
1: No, I've to- I toyed with it, but it's like, it just would start a, a cascade of, of um, where do you start? So right. where do you start? And I don't want to hear, you know, you haven't contacted us. and <laughs> it's I, I, that, you're uh, <laughs> that just, that makes me want to reach for a martini. Like I, that's what I'm trying to get away from. Yeah. It's one thing if I want to have a drink because I'm social. But it's another thing when you really feel to self-medicate because you're so stressed out. And I would get she I think she called me at my job when um, towards the end of like in 15 or 16. And I remember seeing her number and I got like anxiety, anxiety. So that's what it does to me. So I can't. Yeah, it's not. I don't want to be kind of I'm all or nothing. I'm usually pretty black and white. So that's that's a black and white thing to me. Either I'm in their life or I'm not. Yeah. And I can't kind of step into it and then retract. So,
0: yeah. So you were in CrossFit. Yep. And crossfitting, I would mm-hmm. assume. Yes. And did you did you know what barbell for boobs was when
1: you were diagnosed? Had you heard of us? I'd heard. of, When did I first? I'm probably on social media uh, at, at some point during like my CrossFit tenure. Yeah, definitely I'd heard about that um, there's someone that we were speaking of earlier, Megan Adams, um, she was very active, never had met her, but I knew, you know, she wasn't far from me down in Milford. So I knew of the, of your initiative, of your, of your mission. And then actually when I started going to the cancer, I actually reached out and spoke with one of your contacts here. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's now it's a dream that like I've gone to your collective and I've gone to meet you and, you know, and you're just up the road in Santa Ana. So yeah. it's become a dream where I've gotten more involved with, you know, part of your community. So it's, I'm very grateful for that. Um, so you, you,
0: which collective did you go to?
1: I did the 2018 collective that you guys did in Newport beach. And how was, share your experience. Of, oh, so amazing. Was this your, like kind of your first experience
0: exactly. after diagnosis being around other survivors? Exactly. And
1: so I think, who was it? Um, uh, I forgot who specifically it was. I don't, I don't think it was Monica. It was, a, it could have been Erica. Erica reached out to me and had me fill out the application formally. And she's like, I think we, we can, we can get you in because some other people couldn't Come or there was some there's some flip-flopping of commitments mm-hmm. so I think how many people do we have like 20 I think maybe 18 18 to 20 so yeah. and because it was in no, state, no I think 21 yeah. yeah 21 people yeah it was year. in state so it was very easy I just had to drive up and I drove in right out here. I missed the shuttle, so the first girl I meet is Story. Oh yes. So, you know, drives in with a I think she's changed cars, but oh, her, my God. at that time no she had
0: you And she was driving. She had she had a
1: I think a Jeep or something like that with pink rims. I'm like, oh, this girl. God. But I didn't I didn't assume I'm mean, gonna fucking profile her. Like I didn't know who she was on the collective, but and she kinda we weren't like really friendly initially, and then it was clear that we missed the shuttle, and I said, Are you with the and finally we broke the ice. But yeah, you know, she's an interesting, she's a fun girl. She's a
0: character. She's a, such it's a character character, strong personality.
1: So the collective, we, we drove down, you know, the, the first night was the wine and everyone had, you know, everyone was like two in on us. So we had to catch up or I did I don't think she drinks. Um, so that was just, that was the, the intro night, all people were talking. And then finally, I think you spoke Mm -hmm. and we, they gave out the gift bags and then the, you know, it was kind of getting late by that time. And then I think the whole experience on the whole was amazing. We did. It was a blend of fitness, nut- nutrition, um, camaraderie, um, just a really fun weekend. And then just a lot of people gave their time to make that weekend happen. Mm-hmm. And we, it was like the it felt like a big brother, a real world when you when you guys gave out the swag bags <laughs> and the journal had a number and whoever got the lowest number got to pick the room or I got number one. <laughs> you got to pick the so I'm, I just guzzled my wine. I said, OK, run it like it's it's kind of like running it like running to the Christmas tree in like the morning. So,
0: yeah. So we because we didn't know how to do the bed assignment. We oh, were like, we'll so just number one through 20. And that's then number fair one gets to pick the
1: first. Exactly. And so that's my fair way. I do <laughs> anything in my life. I won the room. So Kim Reed actually was my roommate. Bless her soul. And, um, you know, you just you share a bed. But it's, you know, the, the shower was, you know, <laughs> the shower could have fit eight of us had it been possible. But the, the, the mansion was right off the beach and you very well organized, plenty of food. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing was nothing was taken for granted, pro- but probably you could have. You know, there are probably things you could have done, you know, even more lavish, but it was very, very appointed, very well organized, and there was a, an agenda. But then there was also some free time, so it wasn't yeah. just, you know, thing after go, thing go, after go, thing. Go, yeah. So in that, and it shouldn't be that. And then Saturday night, everyone shared their stories, and then Sunday, I think. Oh, we we went to the AOW back yeah. here to weightlift with Jody. Yeah. And then that was kind of the disbanding of it, but it was an amazing weekend, and I think that. I mean, Day, that's. Power Monkey, like I was kind of out of CrossFit at that point. Power Monkey didn't appeal to me as Mm -hmm. much, but obviously it it did very well. But I was grateful to have to have gone on that collective.
0: Yeah. So so for anybody that doesn't know what the collective is, it's an annual retreat that we host. And every year we've changed it a little or grown it. it. We've tweaked it. Uh, We last year we we partnered with Power Monkey. Power Monkey Camp, which is a week long camp. It's very CrossFit focused. And um, those the team over there has been amazing. Um, We'll be sharing and releasing more information about the collective this year. And really, it's it's really meant to be a pretty exclusive experience. And as we grow our programs here at Barbell Stributes, we really want that to be Kind of the thing that everybody's kind of chasing and something that's really earned um, through our programs. And so I think the more you're involved with our programs and showing us that that's something that you want to achieve, which is like a week of fitness and camaraderie with other survivors, um, it's going to be a, it's going to continue to be kind of a staple at Barbell Shaboobs and a very special you know, it special. it's, it's got it. We got to keep it really special. So, um, so I'm glad you were able to experience the collective.
1: Um, and I think the weekend was perfect. I mean, of course it could be longer. And obviously if you did a week at power monkey last year, I think maybe the sweet spot is three to five days. days. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So,
1: so, but we've heard, we've heard great feedback on both yes, sides. So good. to continue to hear the great feedback
0: is awesome on our side.
1: Yes. It was a, I, I've give, I can't give high enough marks for the collective. So we, you've when were
0: you given your you? There's no longer a trace of cancer I in think your.
1: When I entered treatment, she knew my surgeon knew that I had had clear. I cleared margins. Clear margins. So that's when you can. So. I think this is the case for most people you don't have radiation first if I chosen chemo I would have had that first then radiation so that's when I entered treatment he she said you're fine We've, we took an, we, when we last year last year we took an additional sample you have good margins you're clear you can enter treatment and so radiation happened aside from that one week off I had to do like five days a week and then past that I think I started tamoxifen within like a month. But then you know that then I was then I was cut loose or dismissed from treatment. So you know, if anything, I'm overdue for screenings. But I have a different. I'm very grateful it was caught early, and I would never tell any listener not to get a screening. But I think when you've had it and you makes you think about your death and your mortality, like I know I have to and I will. But I said this at the collective. I I, I know I need an MRI, and unfortunately, you can't leapfrog the mammogram just to get an MRI. And an MRI is gonna so. Rewind when I went through all this in Connecticut. I worked for a company, manufacturing company. They were about a thousand employees. They were they did a self-insured program. So what that means is when the hospital would bill them, their insurance, their their provider would only just administer the claims. They would pay out based on mm-hmm. an agreed amount or percentage. So I know that my cancer probably was billed like appointment, you know, treatments, you know, consultations, radiation, all of that, surgeries probably pushing 200 grand of which I paid zero. Wow. So had no debt. So I'm not saying that any, you know, anyone that you've met through going through cancer, I'm sure you make it work and you, you value your life. But for me, money, money is a sticking point. I just, I don't know if a quality of life to me is being heavily in debt with bills that I don't know if I'll be able to repay.
0: Well, I think that's funny because I think that there's, there's something to be said about why people won't go in for health screenings. Right. And, and I, Unfortunately, in our country, our healthcare system is subpar and most people don't have the actual coverage. Like I have health insurance, but I never use it because it's pathetic yeah. <laughs> and it's expensive. And it's like you you start making these health decisions over money, you right. know, and, and, you and, sh- and, and I, sh- I'm, I'm
1: first to admit that yeah, I shouldn't like, that anyone shouldn't do that. But
0: it's sad that we as Americans and in one of the wealthiest countries in right. the world don't have the peace of mind to right. take care of our health and to make that a priority. Like it's it's that's what I'll say. And our you know, health is not a priority in our country. I mean, <laughs> no. Like as much as much as my health is from a proactive, I work out, I try to and eat well. And that's what it is now.
1: So from, like for for me how do I proactively
0: right. take care of myself right. because our health insurance, our health care is set up to be reactive and not proactive right exactly and so health screening should be a top priority right you know and it's just unfortunately it's not and and to hear you say it and be honest about that like just gonna say it like I mean I ignorance is bliss (laughs) bliss. at at
1: the time I didn't know that everything would be covered I honestly had no idea that they did that Mm -hmm. and for very minimal cost so I was I'm still single but I'm legally single and the deduction that they've had Per month, I think for me, with because I have vision issues too, was $13. You and Chris are married. You've got a son. Your deduction would have been $20 a month. Wow. So they have not changed that since like the that's 80s. That's amazing. So they were probably, I think with Obamacare, I think they were absorbing more costs. But they, to this day, have that. As, that's a perk. So while I didn't make 80 grand a year, I probably in some ways was that's equivalent make, of yeah. me making more per year because I wasn't having to dispense all your, all my yeah. you know all my salary back to my health care they they covered that so in knowing that and knowing that i was so like spoiled That's my cause about giving back, but also that makes me think like, okay, I've got good insurance here in California, but there's still gonna be a 20% cost for my MRI. And 20% of 200000 Okay, let's say an MRI is at least three grand. What's 20% of three grand? Like that's still, it won't count towards my deductible. It's still like I'm out of pocket. I'm just gonna guess like 700 bucks. Like, of course I can spend that. I don't wanna just, I mean, if at that point, I just would step in front of a car, but that's what you just mentioned, like proactive. Like I changed my diet out here. Mm I'm a lot happier out here. Sunshine is yeah. a big factor out here. I'm happier. So if and I'm off my birth control. So there are certain variables that are different here than what they were in Connecticut. And there's only a point where I can control that and if if I have to cross that treatment bridge when I come to it then so be it, but I'm trying to make other decisions that will affect your overall you, well-being health because mm-hmm. why did I get cancer in Connecticut at age 39-40? Mm-hmm. No one knows. No one knows. So it's just one thing that it doesn't happen for a reason, but if it was a cause and effect, then it was meant to happen because I got to get, have a different life. Wow. So, so in your
0: experience here, uh, what has breast cancer taught you?
1: Mm, I think it's reaffirmed that, you know, it's all the cliche thing. Life is precious. Um, you're, I was telling you earlier that, I heard people go through cancer when I was growing up, and you're you're sympathetic. But once you have it, it just gives you a different perspective. So Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that it's taught me a different perspective and to be more sensitive and really make it a point to be more self, um, like just more giving and have more empathy. Um, I think it's I was pretty strong before, but it's even heightened that. So I don't want anyone telling me I can't because I then I will. Mm -hmm. Um, It's giving me just a different overall like gratefulness. So. I don't know if I want to live to be 80. Like if a lot of people say, oh, fountain of youth, you want to live to be whatever age. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I mean, for some people, great. Like it's in their genetics. They can still live at home. But most people you see who are pushing 80, 90 can't live at home. And they're, maybe they're hooked up to a machine yeah. or maybe they have a the caregiver. quality of life is just. It's a, cancer made me reevaluate quality of life. Mm. And what, what I define as a quality of life. So my my definition might differ from yours or my friend's, but that's a huge mitigating factor to me. What what do I want from my quality of life? Is that living to 80 arbitrarily? I don't know. It may not be. So,
0: But you, maybe your quality of life is feeling the sun every
1: day. Exactly. That's my quality of life. My quality of life is that I sit up in bed, living three blocks up from the ocean, and I can see 180 degrees of ocean every day, that I've met wonderful, giving people in California that... It's it's, a, it's weird when I think of my life in Connecticut, it feels odd, even though that's been almost, primarily, like, a, it's like, almost like a different life. Yeah, it's a vortex. It's a, yeah. Like that's something that happened like way back, when. way back. But no, <laughs> I've only been out here like two, barely two and a half years. So it does. It gives you a different vantage point. So quality of life is, I think, something the one of the highlights I take away from cancer. Like, what does that mean and how I get to basically define that or. Well, I think and I think that this is such a this is such an interesting
0: topic because. That's one thing that I always want to that I've made a commitment personally to say. I just want to improve the quality of life. That's
1: what you, uh, you know, I I say it all the time. All of your blurbs I read mention quality of life. Quality of life, and that's survivors.
0: Like when we literally, like we're right now in our in our fiscal planning time, and how do you define quality of life? You know, and that's a really big subjective. Question because yep. again, your quality of life is more sun, right? And so I'm like, how do I make sure I can give that to <laughs> you? You know, like it's so for us at Barbell Shaboobs, it's us really in these next few years, we really want to find some metrics that we can really say, hey, these things we are seeing improvement in the quality of life right. for survivors, you know? And, and I honestly, there's some things that you just can't measure, right? right? Like I can't measure that somebody feels stronger at the gym. You right. know, like I've heard that women get done with the collective and they're like, I can come into the gym with more mental confidence, like right. with more strength in like my ability and not so scared, you know, right. because I've learned that other women, I'm not alone here. Right. Like, and for them, I think that for some women, it's like, I don't want to feel alone in this. Like I'm the only person that has breast cancer, have been through breast cancer and Is trying to get a pull up again or get my do a snatch, you know, and like, oh, there's all these other women out there that are trying to do this. And so I think it's just an interesting conversation. And I, I mean, I want to have more of these conversations with survivors because I want to understand what is quality of life
1: like and it's and such, everyone's an, obst- it's such be, an
0: abstract question. It's right? all going to be different. It's, like, it's
1: so different. <laughs> and I was lucky when I was going through this, I was, I never stopped training. I wasn't killing it, but I remember still meeting really awesome benchmarks when I was going through treatment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, just maybe a fluke or just cause I wasn't, it was caught very early. I was never sick, but I was still crossfitting and doing weightlifting. Um, I remember hitting almost, I think over body weight clean when I was going through treatments. So it's I don't know. I don't know. I just just pushed. I pushed. I I didn't want it to become a crutch. I just. And I think that I
0: think that that's one of the things that we might consistently find in us seeking what quality of life is, is I know for me, my quality of life is a coffee in the morning. Yeah. Simple things. (laughs) It's literally like this is a good day for me. I have my coffee in the morning. (laughs) I get to pick up a barbell at some point during the day. I get to laugh with my son and then I get to watch The Office at night with my husband. <laughs> like yeah. that to me. And maybe walk my dog <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if he's not being a, a punk to me, right? So it's like, for me, if I have those five elements in my day, I'm stoked. right? I'm I'm in a good mental m- mental right. place, right? Um, but the fact is that picking up a barbell is, is that one thing for me, right? right? Everything else is my connections to other people, right? right? picking up a barbell was the, my quality of life for myself. And so like, how do I, if I, if that's my medicine, that's what I want to keep dishing right. out and what, what I want to keep giving back.
1: I think another facet of quality of life is I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. So I realized Connecticut had been my comfort zone. It was, it, my life was fun. It was great friends, but it was stagnant. And I, I pushed that got me to push myself and say, what is, what do you want for quality of life? And you want to get out of your comfort zone. So
0: getting mm-hmm. out of your comfort
1: zone. Yeah. I, moving across the country, yeah, that's getting out of your comfort zone. But I was actually really healthy, like doing my move, like my, my first move here. And then I had to leave in the spring. I came back, I had no money and I didn't, I didn't get sick. I, aside from like one sniffle, like a sniffle or, you know, you just, that's one reason I turned down chemo is because chemo kills your immune system. You mm -hmm. get it back. I don't know if it's ever the same. I don't know if one survivor can tell me that they were ever the same after chemo. So, I mean, it serves a place, but it, it's, you know, you have to do your homework on that too. So they, yeah. and they, they do offer you different, um, blends of basically toxic toxins Yeah. and they, yeah, I was offered two, so <laughs> a, a B and a C or what I forgot. I forgot the names, names of the drugs, but you know, you have to, you have to consider all your, all your options, all your options and get second opinions if, if you, if you deem necessary.
0: And I think at the end you just have to go with your gut.
1: Exactly. Like,
0: like, and I see it on the support group where women are asking, uh, oh, you know, different it. treatments and stuff And and honestly, like Your experience May may help another woman, right? And, and I think that sometimes just hearing Like, oh, I had to make the same decision It's yeah. comforting again to not feel so alone yeah. But in the end Ladies, if you're listening Go with your gut yes, My always gut go with has your gut. never failed me Like, I might have not listened to it And been like, right. dang it, I should have listened to my gut I knew that right. But I think that when it comes to caring for yourself and having to make a really big decision on your treatment plan, listen to that first instinct, like whatever that is, then go with that.
1: Self care is really important. Uh doing your homework, but uh, but obviously sticking to what you you know yourself best. No way no to say it, but you. no doctor with any amount of alphabet after their name can decide that for you. They can give you best advice because they're that's what they're paid to do, but they can't make that decision for you.
0: I was I've said this before and I will continue to say it. You are your best healthcare provider. Exactly. And you're your best
1: advocate. You are you are the you are your healthcare provider. And that, that goes to fitness, that goes to Everything. your diet, that goes to like like any vices, like we mm-hmm. all have vices. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, so after cancer, I thought, oh my God, should I just, try not, should I not eat sugar? Should I stop drinking? Right. And it's like, great. So quality of life, like sure, I could be sober and, but I'm not an alcoholic either. Like it, it,
0: you know. Well, it's finding you, the balance, right? It's finding it's, a balance
1: and, it's,
0: you know. And I think that we we actually, uh, we, we actually are having this conversation right now on the nutrition side and and the, the word sugar comes up. And, all the time. And, and it's one of the things that I have, Learned because I ask questions and because I'm close to breast cancer survivors and I hear the stories all the time is all I want is sugar. All right. I want is carbs. That's what makes me feel better. And all I can, all I can kind of relate to that is when I'm sick, I want sick, like I want like yeah mac comfort, and cheese comfort and comfort food, food comfort right food. i don't want a steak like i just i don't want steak and vegetables like or right. a fish and vegetable that, that right. just sounds disgusting to me or like when i was pregnant i didn't want chicken at all it was like yeah. oh my Ugh. gosh this is the grossest thing ever i want mac and cheese or so i think that and we had this conversation with our medical advisory board actually this past week and and us being very aware that we can't say don't eat sugar you know we like we just again, I think that we all can look at the studies of sugar and what sugar does to your cells and your body and the inflammation. And there's tons of research out there, but there's research and there's scientific evidence. And then there's just quality of life. And what do you need to eat to get through the day type? So there's this quantitative information that, yeah, we can say, don't eat sugar and go plant-based and we can do all these things. But also like, what is the quality? What do you need for you right. need to get through this day
1: and, if, and having if having a piece of candy or whatever if, or that's you're not sitting at a sugar trough, just like lapping it all day. You're, you're saying you want some sugar in your life. You're not ready to abstain to abstain from it in full that there's a that's entirely or not different. willing to not eat, you know. And,
0: and so and that's where I think it's it, it was so great for me to see my the medical advisory board at Barbell for Boobs them be very aware of that and very much talking to our nutrition, you right. know, partners to say, Hey, we don't, we don't want to make a statement of cut all sugar out. You know, we
1: don't no, want, you can't, like, you've got to stay away we,
0: from growth from large and, and it's, general statements. Yes. And, um, and, and it was so great to see our nutrition partners agree and just so um, understanding. And it, it made well, me funny. realize, yeah, it's, it's, it was affirmation of like, no, We're building a program that's for real life. This is real life, and we're gonna give you recommendations for your real life. And if you're having a crappy day, you know what? Like, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, I eat a donut every once in a while. Like, I have a lavender latte here and there, but for the most part, I'm pretty aware of what I eat. Like, 90% of the time I'm eating,
1: I have a regimen, right?
0: But you know, Friday morning, a donut is in my face.
1: <laughs> well, what if, if, it, if it's counting macros <laughs> or or subscribing to a or a meal plan or whatever it is, like for example, I've done intermittent fasting since end of last summer. I'm not a Nazi about it, but I've stopped really eating dinner. Three, probably three three to four times a week. Am I hungry? Sure, I am, especially if I train. But you can you can disguise that by maybe having a coffee or a tea. I'll admit sometimes I drink wine or you know alcohol is horrible, empty calories. But it's liquid will fill me right. That kind of assuages the hunger. And I think if there's anything to you know having your body have more time to digest, that is that affects cell, you know cell cleansing. Yeah. So getting the toxins out of your body, getting your having your cells have time to clean all that out. That's relevant to cancer is intermittent fasting for everyone. Absolutely not. Well, and I think, again, I I think it works for me. And I think
0: that now that we're launching this phase of our health plan, which is the nutrition side, we're launching here in the next few weeks. uh, It's just it's an interesting conversation because I've tried every single nutrition plan on the planet. And I know now just what works for me. Exactly. You know, and I think that. I really think I do have a team that's going to be overseeing this that wants women to find what works for them.
1: And it's uniquely to that person.
0: It's so unique. And the fact that you have cancer or had cancer or, you know, um, it will, we're going to, they're, they're experts in this. And so they want to make sure that the recommendations that we provide, that we understand it's Right. for this a population of breast cancer survivors. So yes. I'm excited about that. And I just touching on that a little bit was, is it's exciting to now really start having mm-hmm. the conversations on the podcast about our programs that are coming out and, and you're involved. Like, I know that have you filled out the assessment? Not our yet. Phase one. Not, come on, Tori. We're going to fill it out right after this podcast. Uh- <laughs> I'll
1: fill it out. <laughs> She's like, I'm just going to listen to Z. <laughs> yes, dear. Yes, mom. Yeah. So no, but that's one, that's one avenue aside from, you know, being, you know, buckling down in your nutrition, but, be, but obviously having a balance because what will, what will give you the most rate of like high rate of success? Sustainability. Mm-hmm. So that's something i What I've, can you yeah, do that's going to be. Overturn, like over overtime. a long, over time that you'll stay with versus doing a crash diet and then and failing then at it because you don't the see back. the results that you want right away. So then you, you go back, go back to, you resume what you were doing that was, you know, not working for you. Again quality of life. Quality of life.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to put you on a diet that gives you no quality of life. Yeah, because you've already just got slapped in the face for,
1: for, you know, for, you know, getting something that was obviously not asked, you know, you didn't ask for it. And it's, that's, that's a detraction of quality of, Mm -hmm. like, you question that actually when you, when you're going through it. Yeah. So how do you, you know, get someone to open their eyes up to like, there's quality of life after cancer. There is. There is. Yeah, there is much quality of life. So... Is there anything
0: else you want to share with us today and our listeners
1: i think wow you've i think we've covered a lot of it <laughs> we've been all
0: over the place it's good
1: <laughs> um
0: well thank you for coming in today thanks no, for sharing please. your thank you so much incredible for having me. story um you have had such a, an amazing life a colorful life in a way it's different. It's different, you know. Yeah. I don't meet every, I don't meet people every day that have been adopted from another country. So and
1: don't know their birth parents D- and are <laughs> and or estranged or estranged from their estranged from their adoptive parents and then have a have a different life. Kind of makes me feel normal. <laughs> and then you know, going you know, moving to a different state and you know, basically putting trying to put down roots here. But this is after something that really you know blindsided me. So, but, but you're making
0: the most of it. Trying. One day at a time, right? That's beautiful. That's all we can do. All right. So today's lesson with Tori Campbell is... Find your quality of life. Find your quality of life. Don't Whatever let somebody tell you what your quality no, of life is.
1: Do not, you know, <laughs> your friends are your friends and they're going to be your best advocates. But at the end of the day, it boils down to you. To you. And actually, I hate to say it, you've got to be really self-aware and your in, in your own as your own person. So your if you're not, life. unfortunately, if you're not confident in who you are just yet, you're you're probably going to struggle with what what you want to have a quality what what entails quality of life. So, you know, self-care comes first.
0: I think that's a good homework assignment for everybody listening. Figure out your, what brings you your best quality of life. Yep. What brings you quality. Right. Well, right. thank you again, Tori, for Say driving you know, yes. up from San Diego. Please. Big shout out to our producer yes. on the turntables over here, Chris Hansen. Yes. Wickety, wick, wickety, wick. Uh, <laughs> that's lights out for us. Go have a quality of life. Or go have a quality life. Go have a quality life. Quality life. To go get life. Yep.
1: <laughs> Peace.
0: Go get life. Go get life. <laughs>